I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. After the Apocalypse, a pandemic survival story. Season 3, Episode 19, Clash. Michael had trouble hiding his surprise and fear when the pickets radioed in that a convoy of vehicles was moving in their direction. He thought they were about to get caught with their pants down. What had gone wrong? There were lookouts by the river crossings just for this reason, but this approaching force appeared from nowhere. Was this an example of the fog of war creating surprise and chaos and nullifying their hasty but well-made plans? Luckily for all involved, the old man and Janet were in the lead vehicle and they knew everyone would be jumpy. They made sure they identified themselves to keep from getting shot up by Michael's scared lookouts. Once the identity of the unknown force became clear, the news spread quickly. Joy and relief spread with it. This might just be their salvation. Later that day, the distribution center leadership cohort gathered in the conference room to strategize and plan for the expected assault. Mags leaned over the table and spoke directly to Michael. Let's turn those campus vans around, load up our kids and any other noncombatants and get them out of here. Anyone who isn't ready to fight, get them out of the line of fire. Mags continued with urgency. Do it fast so we can get the barricades back in place. On it, boss, Michael responded. We'll get the barbed wire blockades back into place before the sun's down. He hurried out of the room. He was dialed into his preparations. It would not have felt wrong at all for him to snap off a crisp salute when exiting. But he did not. They weren't a real army yet. They were still in that precarious state, somewhere between a gang and an army where there was more enthusiasm than protocol. Janet noted Mags's beaten and haggard physical condition, Mags, for heaven's sake, let Dr. Panagiorgio and the old man look you over. Mags didn't even acknowledge the comment. She was singularly focused on winning the impending battle and the preparations needed to do it. Now she had these new people to integrate into those plans. 
She had seen battle before. She knew what needed to be done. She knew that their only hope for victory was to outplan their foe. What they lacked in expertise and numbers, they could overcome with planning, preparation, and teamwork. The two groups had just been introduced. Phil, Margie, Charlie, Colonel Artie, and Dr. P were there representing the zoo. Brad was there with Mags and Janet from the D.C. They were in the admin building in that awkward coming-together phase as they tried to figure out how their pieces might fit together into a whole. The notable absentee was the old man who did not stay for the meeting. He had been silent and brooding ever since leaving the campus. He now retreated with Bill somewhere quiet to reflect on his place in the world and escape the matting crowd. Mags continued to ignore Janet's admonishments, but motioned for her to lean in closer. She whispered conspiratorially so that only Janet could hear. What the hell did you bring me? Cannon fodder? Janet smiled, leaned back, and said in a voice loud enough to be heard by everyone in the room, That's right. I brought you close to 50 motivated and experienced fighters. Some of them are ex-military. Some have unique skill sets. She privately winked at Mags and smiled. Mags did not return the smile. She looked very uncomfortable. God, save us from lawyers, she muttered, and then addressed the leaders of the zoo. How many of your motivated and experienced people have weapons training? Phil and Margie looked at each other. Margie spoke first. Depends on what you mean by weapons training. We have a few retired military and at least one person with police training, but probably a dozen hunters on top of that. Okay, get anyone you trust with a firearm and organize them, Max continued, looking doubtful. Do you have anyone with actual war zone or tactical leadership skills that we can trust to organize and lead them? Phil and Margie looked at each other, then at Artie and smiled. Margie spoke. I think we have just the man for you. Great. Have your man organize anyone you think capable into a squad. Report to me when he's done. Michael will figure out weapons and ammo for them. She paused and thought. Tell them they are designated as Squad Z and are in reserve for now until I figure out what to do with them. She looked at her watch. I'll expect someone to report back to me by 1900 a day. Repeat back to me what I just said. Margie repeated the instructions. Or were they commands to Mag's satisfaction, then asked, What about the rest of our people? Mags thought for a moment and responded, The rest of them can be a support team, and you're in charge of them. Get them fed, provisioned, and comfortable with the layout of the D.C. Once they understand the lay of the land, report back to me. 
Mags knew that these people were volunteers, not soldiers, and softened her approach. Look, I'm sorry to be short with you, but we don't have a lot of time. We are expecting the king's army any day now, and we need to be prepared. Do any of you have any questions for me? Phil spoke up. You folks have a lot of stuff here. Anything useful for this fight? Mags looked at Brad, who proudly responded, We do have a lot of inventory, but no military stuff, mostly consumer goods products and manufacturing materials. How about chemicals? Fertilizer? Charlie asked. Got any kitchen cookware or cell phones? Sure, let's go look at the inventory, Brad said, brightening. Follow me. I can cook up some homebrew. Charlie said with a wry smile and shuffled out with Brad and Phil. Just then, an excited man burst through the door with Michael following hot on his heels. The man's cheeks were flushed with effort. He had mud on his face. He was out of breath. And he looked like he could barely hold back what he wanted to say. Michael nodded at him to speak and a torrent of words burst out like when the storm waters finally overwhelmed the dam. The king's on the move in our direction. The scout saw a column of trucks and cars crossing the river this morning. We counted 33 vehicles. There was silence in the room as everyone brooded on the new information. It's started, Mag said with grim determination. Let's be ready, as ready as we can. They could be here as early as tomorrow, Michael said. Could be, Mags agreed. This is what we expected. This is what we've been preparing for. Spread the word. Battle stations at sunrise. There was a moment of silence in the room as they realized what this meant. Up to this point, the battle for the D.C. was a concept, a possible eventuality to plan for. Now it was real, and it hung like a pall in the room, like the grim reaper was there with them, taking inventory of their souls. They were losing daylight, and the king was not happy. They had started out from camp early, but now they were running behind schedule. He knew the longer his army took to get to the D.C., the more time those assholes had to prepare or to steal its stuff. Because, in his mind, it was his stuff. The D.C. was his territory. He was taking control of what was rightfully his. By killing the last director of the distribution center, it was rightfully his by force of arms. These weak women and children had no claim to the D.C. They were spineless rebels and would soon understand the consequences of messing with what was his by right. He looked down the road at the line of vehicles as they made agonizingly slow progress. It seemed... Every time they turned a corner, they had to stop to move a felled tree or muscle an abandoned vehicle with flat tires out of the way. They know we're coming, the king said to Harlan. That's okay. They can slow us down, but they can't stop.
stop us. Harlan aped his boss's comment. They can't stop us. Are the, what did you call them, hoss? Auxiliaries ready to go? Yeah, we gave them some old shotguns and even put them in uniforms. We told them if they did their part, they'd get promoted to full dog status. He smiled that rat smile of his. And if they didn't, we'd shoot them. The king grinned his approval. Maybe we should shoot a couple before we start, just for motivation. Now make sure they're out in front and ready to go when we reach the attack point. Morning mist drifted up from the river, across the hills, and poured into the valley, as if attempting to soften the reality of what they saw coming from their position on the roof of the admin building. But nature's vulgar attempt at airbrushing could not hide the fact that the enemy was at the gates. Mags and Michael watched a group approach on foot. They moved slowly, cautiously. They were clad uniformly in desert camouflage and carried weapons. They were followed by two pickup trucks trailing by a gap of a hundred feet or so. There was a man in the back of each truck with a long gun. What are they up to? This can't be the attack. Mags wondered out loud to Michael. There's only a couple dozen of them. The camouflage group had reached the first of four barricades and were working on clearing a way through. They were crouched down and using wire cutters on the barbed wire. Some of them were trying to push the barricade out of the way enough for the trucks to follow. Michael had set the barricades up not with the expectation of stopping the invaders, but of making them slow down. The idea was to create killing zones as the attackers were caught between the barricades and forced to slow. A rifle shot rang out from one of the defensive positions. Hold that fire, Michael yelled. Someone had a nervous trigger finger. They had been instructed to wait until the attackers were in the kill zone. They had calibrated fire to that. In addition, one of those professors... Charlie had ginned up a surprise for them, and Michael intended to use it to full effect. The attackers pointed long guns in the direction from behind the barricade. They saw the muzzle flashes and smoke. They ducked, taking cover behind sandbags. Pellets rattled off the HVAC behind them, followed by the bark of guns. Birdshot? Mags asked Michael rhetorically. What the hell? The attackers had breached the first barricade and now spilled through the gap. They jogged ahead and huddled together, taking cover behind the next obstacle. Mags looked at Michael as he pulled an old cell phone out of his sweatshirt. He pressed a speed dial button. For a moment, there was nothing. Then an explosion bloomed within the second barricade as a pressure cooker bomb exploded, spreading high-velocity shrapnel. 
There were screams and a plume of smoke. A half dozen of the attackers were down as the smoke cleared. A half dozen more dove to the ground, trying to get as small as possible. Others, farther back, turned and tried to scramble in the direction of the pickups. There were more gunshots. Hold your fire! Michael screamed again. Mags looked out at the carnage through her field glasses. It's not us. The guys in the trucks are shooting at the ones that are trying to run. Michael looked confused. They're shooting at their own people? Bring me my rifle, now, Mag said, and get that other kid, Zane, on the walkie. Zane had been told to conceal himself on one of the surrounding hills so that he could keep an eye on the developing action but be able to get away if things turned badly. The walkie-talkie on his shoulder squawked. He reached for it, pressed the button, and spoke. Z! It was Mag's voice that crackled back at him. What do you see? Can't see anything yet. There's too much fog. I only see smoke near the entrance, where you are. Hold on. I'll have my drone airborne in three minutes. Maybe I can see something. Ten-four. Hurry it up. Zane keyed the walkie on his shoulder and pulled the drone out of his backpack, careful not to tweak his injured arm. Unfolding the drone for use, he snapped a mobile phone into the controller. Within minutes, it was buzzing like a mad insect and lifting off. Using the controller and looking at the images sent back, he maneuvered it higher and higher until he could see the surrounding areas. Turning the aspect 360 degrees, he could see the whole complex, including the admin building, with the smoke and confusion of the initial attack on the front gate. Now oriented, he flew it high over the campus of the D.C. in a slow southwest arc, just as he was reaching the perimeter of the D.C. ground, he saw them. Two separate columns of men were approaching from south and west on the overgrown fire roads. He drove the drone low and fast across their position. The men looked up and around at the buzzing sound. Zane gave the drone a hold command and keyed the walk once more. You've got two groups approaching from the south and west, maybe a hundred hostiles in each. They're just about to breach the perimeter fence. We should redeploy, Michael said. Not yet, Mags looked like she was thinking. Send the reserve force to the prepared locations and have them dig in, but be ready to shift in reinforcements or pull back to the next defensive line. Meanwhile, Mags braced her rifle on the sandbags, looked through the scope at the man in the pickup truck, inhaled a breath, and held it. Janet came up to Michael in a crouched run. What's going on? she asked. The king is trying to sneak his army in the back, Michael said. I'm sending the reserves to meet them. Tell your friends to get over there and get into position. Like we war game last night. Tell Artie to activate Plan Z. Okay, Janet said. I'll go with them. Then, turning to the old man, who was sitting with one hand on Bill's neck, she asked, Are you coming? He pushed himself to his feet. Once more into the breach he said with a slightly crazed attitude. Janet looked at him and asked, 
Are you okay? He responded, Cannon to the right of me, cannon to the left, stormed at by shot and shell. Boldly, they rode and well. She shrugged, and they hurried off to their assignment. She hoped he wasn't losing his shit. Things were about to get hot. The king's two columns came together at the fence as planned. They quickly tore a section away. The king and Harlan stayed back and directed. This is how it's done, Hoss. We're gonna shove a couple hundred heavily armed men right up their ass. King said, this should be over quick. The way was clear once they were through the fence. Rows of warehouses full of good stuff stretched out in front of them. This was going to make the men very happy. The king would once again be their great benefactor. Tell them to advance, he said. Let's get this over with. Colonel Artemis McGuire grinned as he chomped on an unlit cigar. Hold steady! None till I give the order! He kept a running commentary going, like there were new recruits that he was training, which, in a sense, they were, except for the training part. Check your safeties! He continued, and remember to aim low, no higher than their balls. He watched the men approaching through the cover of his concealed trench. Let them get in nice and close. Hold. Almost. Get ready. Fire. He threw the cover mat off his fighting hole and began squeezing off rounds carefully, one by one. The colt barked its authoritative song and sent lethal, large-caliber lead downrange as it had done since 1873. He smiled. Ten other foxholes threw back their cover and began firing at the approaching horde with a controlled and steady rain of bullets. That's it! The colonel yelled, Slow and steady! Choose your targets! Several of the men in the front ranks of the king's army fell wounded or dead. Others hit the ground and tried to return fire. Some tried to find cover. They ran to the walls, but they were boxed in between the two long distribution buildings. As they scrambled for cover, pipe bombs began to fall from the roofs and then rifle crossfire cut into the ranks from firing positions above. The king and Harlan looked on from behind. Pull them back! Send them around the sides! The king yelled. Have them go around and get in behind! Janet and the old man watched the battle unfold from behind cover. The king's army had been punched in the nose and bloodied, but they were still on the move, sliding sideways out of the box. She pulled out her own walkie-talkie and screamed at Michael over the chaos of gunfire. They're trying to flank, she shouted into the mic. We need to get some more people and extend the line. The old man surveyed the scene. The acrid smoke burned his nostrils as he breathed. People were screaming. 
He was calm. The same old thing, he thought, remembering Paul's words. Only a few months after the apocalypse, and we're already killing each other. And for what? Some diesel fuel and vacuum cleaners? He looked into the excited eyes of Bill the dog and spoke. What do you think, big guy? Want to go for a hunt? The old man tousled the hair behind the big dog's ears and shrugged the strap of his crossbow over his shoulder. They took off at an easy run. Janet didn't even see them leave. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, my survivor friends. Here we are, closing in on the end of Season 3. I'm recording this from a hotel room in Las Vegas. And you can probably hear the deleterious effects of Sin City on my voice this morning. And the audio quality might be a little echoey. But I was able to finish writing this episode and will more than likely get it out on time, or at least close to on time. And I won't hold you over too long today, as time is short. I need to scurry off to the airport to flee this godforsaken place. Have you ever noticed how many post-apocalyptic stories are based in Las Vegas? And if you think about it, It just makes sense, because IRL, in real life, this city is a very good approximation of a post-apocalyptic environment already. It's basically 80% there, so it fits well into most narratives about the apocalyptic breakdown of society. Okay, my friends, I will give you a quick reference point as to where we are, and then I'll talk about one movie I watched, one book I finished, and then we'll scurry off to the airport like cockroaches on cocaine. Today, today's episode is Season 3, Episode 19. This means we have one more episode for this season, and then we will go on our summer break. And to fill this dead air over the next couple of months, 
I've collected stories from our community that I will orchestrate into shows for you. And I'll be sure to label everything and make it so you know what's what. It's not confusing. And I still plan to do five seasons of this show, which means you will have a season four coming at you sometime later in 2023. And by the way, if you're time traveling, today is Cinco de Mayo, 2023. Okay, so I have consumed or reconsumed a couple of pieces of content in the last couple of weeks. The first being a book called Bikini Planet by David Garnett. Mr. Garnett is a UK author that writes in the genre of comedic science fiction. And this particular book is about a rookie cop in Las Vegas, believe it or not, that gets tossed into a suspended animation chamber by the mob and wakes up 300 years later to a very much different future. And I bought this book because I ran across the cover art online and was charmed by the the cover art and the absurdity of it, so I bought it, like I do. This book feels very Douglas Adams-influenced and has the same sort of comedic absurdity. It's got the similar fish-out-of-water blundering about that you remember from the Hitchhiker universe. It's not meant to change your worldview, cure cancer, or bring about world peace. It's meant to entertain you, so if that's your cup OT, arf, have at it. The second piece of content I wanted to share is a movie called Local Hero from 1983. And I don't know why, but I really like this movie. It's about an American businessman from Houston who goes to this small Scottish coastal community to buy it for an oil company. He wants to buy the whole town. And it has the famous Burt Lancaster in one of his last roles. And for you youngsters, uh, this is the same Burt Lancaster who you may remember from famously making love to Deborah Kerr in the surf in From Here to Eternity in 1953 in black and white. And the lead character is Peter Rygert, who you may remember from Animal House and many, many other roles. Uh, Animal House would have been 1978. And he is supported by a young Peter Capaldi. Yes, that Peter Capaldi from Doctor Who. But in this role, he plays more of a sort of Mr. Bean character in Local Hero. So the question is, why do I like this movie? It's a quiet movie where nothing much happens. They basically sit around this Scottish village and drink. That's the movie. But it's a refreshingly peaceful movie to sit and have a glass of scotch with yourself. And it's funny with a touch of sadness and a long, hard look at the absurdity of life, especially the absurdity of life for a traveling American businessman which I may have some experience with. So that's it for me this week. As always, everything I talk about here will be linked in the show notes and posted in a rich, link-rich post on my website when the show drops. That's oldmanapocalypse.com. Come join us on the Facebook group and buy me a cup of coffee or throw some money at me through any of those Linked methods, if you can. Let us 
hand in hand, go forth into the great unknown together as fellow travelers. And as that door slams shut behind us and we pull our hats down tightly, we hitch up our leather pants, we take that bold step forward. Remember to keep surviving. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.